Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the movie review podcast where good taste and bad taste hit each other and blow up. There it goes. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, do they call you Mr. Bibbs? No, they call me Mr. Beast sometimes. Ah. Over at the movie trivia schmodown. Oh, well, uh, 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 appellation with respect. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. Uh, I get no respect, I tell you. Uh, <laughs> You're supposed but to adjust I, uh, your tie when you yeah. say that. <laughs> I, I, get, I get no respect as I adjust my t-shirt, yeah. my Fangoria t-shirt that I'm wearing tonight. Mm. Uh, I am also a film critic. I, I have no nicknames. I have no appellations. You can just call me Hey You and I will respond. Yeah, and uh, this week on Critically Acclaimed, uh, we're reviewing some new movies. We're reviewing The Little Things, The Queen of Black Magic, Paul May, uh, sorry, pa- Palmer. <laughs> Palmer. Palmer. It's new Fisher Stevens movie. Uh, we'll be uh, and on the critically acclaimed streaming club where we catch up on movies that one or both of us haven't seen before, as voted on by our patrons over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Uh, we're reviewing uh, a movie that got Peter O'Toole one of his many Academy Award nominations for Best Actor that he did not win. Uh, a Actually, a movie I really, really love a lot. Uh, the 1980 uh, weird comedy drama suspense thriller war farce inside hollywood film the stuntman uh which i can't wait to talk about with whitney i actually hadn't realized he hadn't seen that so now i'm excited to discuss it with we chose films that were on the uh, shout factory tv uh streaming service and they have a lot of really interesting cult movies there. They got, like, a lot of the Jerry Anderson stuff. Yep. Like, if you want some uh, puppety TV. Yep. And they have, like, a, just a gigantic fistful of Corman. Oh, yeah. Like, all of the Cormans, all of those famous Corman cult movies are on the Shot Factory TV That's what they should release channel. a box set and just call it a fistful of Corman. I'm sure it's been done. Uh, probably. Um, so we're going to talk about all of that and, uh, and other things besides. Uh, if you follow us on the Movie Trivia Schmodown, I know some people found the show hmm. through that particular YouTube trivia program. Uh, you may have noticed that there was a big draft last week. And well, we, uh, well, we closed the window and it's over now. Yuck, yuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so funny. Uh, you, you, you got picked up by a new faction. You were at the hmm. dungeon. Uh, there will be no hmm. reunion between uh, you and I at Critically Acclaimed, uh, not, our, old, our old team. Not, not just yet. Maybe that's still in our future. But for now... I am in the dungeon with some uh, rather intelligent, good-looking people. So yeah. there we are. It's a it's a cool faction to be in. I'm glad they saw mm. your immense talent and uh, underappreciated value as a movie trivia player. I oh, feel thank like you. it's sweet of you to say. I, I feel like you never get the credit you deserve for racking up the points. You just have had some bad luck here and there, and yeah, it's I mean, not really fair to you. So somebody suggested one. I don't know if the, the numbers hold this out, but I, I think I've. Like, I have the highest loss record for the number of questions I've gotten right. Yeah, your yeah. accuracy <laughs> is insane. You just are often forced to play mm-hmm. opponents who either had a really good day yeah. or are also amazing and someone just had to win that day. Mm-hmm. But I remember when you and I had a, had a, critically acclaimed mm-hmm. our own team over there, uh, every single win that we had was by knockout. Yeah, yeah, we never we never won like by like a hair. We always like knocked them out cold, and we just had like two really close losses, and that was just 
enough too too <laughs> just, too much for the schmodown just too yeah yeah not good enough everybody yeah just <laughs> we, we're still in a lot of the record books hmm. uh for the best team stuff ever like the best team accuracy or the most knockouts etc uh but uh yeah we just we lost the wrong two hmm. um so anyway, I'm really excited. I'm glad you're still a part of it. I can't wait to see what you do this season. So, uh, And of course, I will still be with the Quickie Mix uh, with my beloved Shazam. Mm-hmm. And uh, who knows? Maybe we can play each other again this year. That'd be fun. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I just want to address the elephant in the room. I'm looking forward to a fun season. And uh, now it's time to actually have a dramatic shift. Hey. Because that was fun. And uh, now we got to talk about uh, something that... I like that we get to talk about this because there's a lot of other shows that would be so focused on like the new or mm. you know here's what the happening in franchise news or whatever hey, what i, I like that we get to talk about the passing of cinematic legends oh yeah but i also hate that we have to because yeah, well, they're passing away we, our, our original podcast going way way back the b movies podcast it was called uh there was a mandate where we had to talk about movie news yeah like from from our bosses uh, and that was the part of the show we liked the least. We didn't yeah. like talking because it was always so bored with it's always it all just the time. R- rumors about who might be in a superhero movie, and that that yeah. wasn't interesting. And we and listen, uh, you know us; we can riff. No, we, we, well, we were able to fill the space, but, but... we changed the subject as quickly as possible most of the time <laughs> because it's just like Anne Hathaway is going to be Catwoman. Cool, I'll bet she's great. great. I haven't I haven't seen the movie. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, she's an actress she's I an admire. Incredibly talented yeah. actor. It's a fun role. Hopefully, she'll be good. Mm. Hey, remember the Princess Diaries? And then we just go off on a rant. Mm. Uh, we get to talk about what we want to talk about, and we get to focus right now on. We lost two absolute titans mm. this week, and I, I I'm just going to go in chronological order of when they passed away. <laughs> basically, I, I pick you know. I don't want to have anyone read anything into it, but mm. um, uh, Cloris Leachman mm. passed away. Academy Award winner uh, for The Last Picture Show. Uh, incredibly prolific actor, like over 250 credits mm. on the Internet Movie Database. Lots of television, lots of voiceover work, uh, lots of highly respectable roles, lots of very silly roles. Um She's one of the funniest people ever, mm-hmm. <laughs> Cloris Leachman. Uh, she, uh, one of her more famous roles was uh, Frau Blucher from Young Frankenstein back in 1974. Yeah, and every time uh, they would mm. say her name, the horses would mm. neigh in the background. And I didn't get that joke for a long time. And then it turns out Blucher is uh, German for the word glue. Yeah. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> You had to know German to get that joke. That is a densely packed movie full of jokes. Uh, but whenever the the horses would whinny, they would cut to Cloris Leachman, and she would have this like subtle look of disgust on her face, like yeah. oh god, it happened again every time. And she worked with Mel Brooks a lot. She was in several Mel Brooks productions. She was in High Anxiety, yeah. um, very funny in High Anxiety. Uh, she mm. has this incredibly hypersexual relationship with Harvey Korman. <laughs> just, they're they're just delightful together mm. in that film. She, um, she played a uh, Madame. Defarge in History of the World Part One. You're right. She did. Mm. She had one of the funniest lines in that movie, and that movie is full of funny lines. Yeah. <laughs> like, and what? when she says, "We, we, we have no money, we have no dignity, we do not even have a language, just a stupid accent." <laughs> yeah. Love, guy, oh, so many good lines in History of the World. Part another guy one. steps forward. She's right. We all talk like Maurice Chevalier. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, mm. God, good times. Uh, um, but, but yeah, I, I was. 
it was always a delight to see or hear her. She did a lot of voice work as well. Uh, I remember when she showed up as the, the super powered school nurse in the film sky high. Oh yeah. Like, I didn't a... know she was in that. And that film's like full of you know, a lot of great cameos. She showed up, uh, in, uh, you may recall, uh, in 1999, mm. there was a very fun, uh, giant crocodile movie, Lake Placid. Mm, was it crocodile? Crocodile, yeah. was it crocodile? Okay, I was getting confused. Mm. Um, and that starred uh, Betty White as uh, the old lady who lived by a lake mm. who had been raising giant crocodiles mm. when no one was looking. Mm. And in the straight-to-video sequels, when they couldn't get Betty White, they did get Cloris Leachman to play her sister. <laughs> and I remember thinking to myself, wow, she's game for anything. And she didn't phone in that performance. She had every reason to do so. It was not an expensive mm. or good film. Ah. She um she is tied with Julia Louis Dreyfus as yeah. uh one of the most Emmy winning actresses of all time. Ah, Julia, I didn't know Julia Louis Dreyfus was was as high up as yeah, Well, okay. be- between I think between Seinfeld and Veep, she just yeah. got just been showered with awards. Mm. Um, yeah, she she worked in in film and TV and uh, was just such a delight. She was yeah. so professional. Uh, one of those reliable comedians who you know is going to be funny no matter where you encounter her. Yeah. It's like this, this, this is a piece of crap movie, but we know Cloris Leachman is going to like knock her scene out of the park. And she always did. Yeah. Even, even something as stupid as like Herbie goes bananas Mm -hmm. or whatever. And uh, for people who weren't around, uh, Mm -hmm. when some of the movies that we're talking about came out and maybe they haven't trickled down, uh, to your generation yet, or haven't gone around to watching some of the old Mel Brooks movies or some of the old sitcoms uh, from the sixties and seventies. Uh, she did a lot of voice work for a lot of kids' movies. Uh, she did a lot of voice work for Hayao Miyazaki movies. She was in uh, Castle in the Sky, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, one of Miyazaki's first films. And then she was also in Ponyo, which is maybe Hayao Miyazaki's weirdest movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a very weird film, that mm-hmm. Ponyo. And sweet. I like Ponyo. It's mostly sweet. It's just, it's it's very odd and it's kind of tonally all over the place and mm. kind of admire it for that. But she was also a really good dramatic actor too. And we did one of our first, it might have even been our very first episode of our Patreon show, The Cancel Too Soon Monthly Movie, oh, yeah. which eventually evolved into our show Not on Disney Plus because we started doing Disney TV movies mm-hmm. and realized there's like a plethora of them and explored. Um, mm. She was in a TV movie in the 70s that we discovered called Someone I Touched, <laughs> in which she played a woman who caught syphilis from her husband after he philandered, and she sang the theme song <laughs> about catching syphilis. Commitment to the role. Boy, howdy. <laughs> was she committed? She's good in it, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's kind of a melodramatic kind of, you know, scare film about, mm. you know, social diseases and air quotes, but no, one, good in it. Uh, there's a w- wonderful scene where she gets the bad news. I think you might be infected. And Cloris Leachman kind of oh, yeah. pushes him very slowly away in complete and utter shock. It's a like good, <laughs> good acting moment for her. Yeah. Uh, or if if you don't uh, if you don't know her from her voice work from th- stuff like the Crudes, um, did you see Beer Fest? <laughs> <laughs> where, uh, where she uh, does rude things to a sausage. Mm-hmm. Beer, that's, a, that's a hell of a film that is. Beer, you know the the Broken Lizard films aren't great, but they kind of are. <laughs> I would think two of them are great. I think uh, uh, the original Super Troopers is great. Mm. Beer Fest is great. The first 
10 minutes of Super Troopers 2 is maybe one of the funniest the, movies the op- ever. The opening of Super Troopers yeah. 2 is really great. Beer um, Fest has and, one of the uh, great meta jokes I've ever seen. <laughs> Just ever seen. Was like, it the, the, the twin joke? Yeah, yeah, there's a twin joke in that movie that killed me. <laughs> I died mm. and had to be replaced by another version of me and we just agreed to call this new version of me Bibbs out of respect for the old one. <laughs> Can you just give me the same character name? <laughs> and just we'll never talk about but, it. But Cloris Leachman, you know, she she knew she was going to be in this raunchy beer drinking comedy where she has to waggle around a sausage and Boy, howdy, she was there for it. She was yeah. so game. She committed to the Oogie Loves in a way that mm. I think only like her and Carrie Elwes and, and, and uh, Jamie Presley. And Jamie Presley. Jamie and, Presley was in that movie. Mm. And, Jamie Presley and, gave 110% to that film. Cloris Leachman gave 110% to that film. Carrie Elwes gave 110% to that film. Chaz Palminteri. Chaz Palminteri <laughs> gave 200%, and that was way too much. He should have scaled that fucking shit back. He played a character named Milky Marvin. <laughs> he really likes milk. Milkshakes. You ever milk wanted cheeks. to see Chaz Palminteri with that mm. wonderful crooning voice <laughs> sing a song about milkshakes? And he gives good advice to kids like, drink your milkshake really fast, kids. <laughs> that movie is insane. That and Clor- Cloris Leachman's presence only makes it like that much more special. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, listen, I... Look up Cloris Leachman's filmography. Marvel at the variety, at the number of amazing films she made, the number of bad films that she made, but was good in. Um, absolute legend in the industry, and she will, of course, be missed. There's another Titan that we lost, like I think like a day or two later, mm-hmm. uh, and that is, of course, the great Cicely Tyson. Uh, yeah, she died the next day. Was it literally the next day? Leo. Holy shit. Holy, again, one of, again, arguably one of the great actors mm. of the 20th century. Yeah. Uh, she was a groundbreaker, a trailblazer. Um, you know, it was hard for people of color to get major roles in Hollywood for a long time. And mm. Cecily Tyson, whenever uh, she did, it was, it was an event. Mm-hmm. Uh, she did a lot of work in the theater, and as a result, she did a lot of work that I haven't seen because I'm not that into the theater. Yeah, um, I just don't follow it as much, and I, I haven't seen everything she, she's ever done. I mean, she's she's an incredible, she's important and highly awarded actress. Yeah, uh, but yeah, her filmography, you know, in terms of just the way we come at the medium, is is not as expansive as her theater and her TV work. Yeah, it's uh, pretty expansive. She, she has yeah. like 94 credits. She, she has like, a lot of film credits, and she has uh, she a lot of TV movies that she did back in the seventies. She didn't work a lot in film in the 1980s, but she was on TV and in theater a lot during that time. Yeah. Uh, The first time I saw her in a movie was in 1997 uh, in a movie called Hoodlum, which is about uh, uh, Ellsworth Bumpy Johnson and Dutch Schultz and a few real life gangsters. It was, it was a gangster Uh, movie about uh, how, you know, like most gangsters that we think about, or, well, most gangsters that we're told about, rather, uh, are the white dudes. Mm. You know, your Bugsies, your uh, 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 Frank Needies, your Capones. Uh, yeah, there were lots of people of color who were, you mm. know, actually, like, doing just as amazing legendary things. And Hoodlum actually told the story of them, and that was cool. Mm. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that I have not seen Sounder. Actually, I haven't seen that either. Yeah, yeah I am embarrassed by that. That's not cool. I remember a lot of her films like that were around like when I was watching movies, she was already kind of a legend of the medium. And mm. a lot of times she would show up. 
to be the holy shit, it's Cicely Tyson kind yeah, of she, role. Like she, that's that's she, the role she, she played in like up, Alex yeah. Cross. That's the role she played in The Help. Uh, that's the role she played in uh, uh, Diary of a Mad Black Woman. Uh, the biggest probably role that I've seen her in, and I really want to invite people who are more familiar with Cicely Tyson's uh, filmography mm-hmm. and especially her stage work. Uh, to write us in letters at criticallyacclaimed.net because Whitney and I cannot do Cicely Tyson justice. We just, yeah. We're just not as familiar with her work as we should be. Uh, we have nothing but respect for her and her achievements and everything we've seen her in. She's been amazing, but we're not experts here. Um, the only like feature like length movie that was like really that I saw that where she carried the film was a TV movie version of the autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman. Yeah, which which she got a lot of awards for. Yeah, and it's great. Uh, it's mm-hmm. been a long time since I saw it. I like I saw it in like high school, but I remember thinking to myself, "Wow, what a great performance!" So, uh, that's a nineteen seventy four uh, TV movie. It's still very readily available, uh, and I do hope people check that mm-hmm. out because that one I can recommend mm-hmm. by personal experience. Uh, but um, I, I also didn't know that she was in the Concord Airport seventy nine, and now I want to <laughs> see that movie more than I did before. I want to see all of. I want to watch all of those uh, air, airport movies, like, yeah, back to back. We need to get around to that one of these days. But um, yeah, so please, if anyone else has uh, a more personal connection to the works of Cecily Tyson, if anyone is hmm. more familiar with her career overall than we are, we want to invite you. Please write in. The email is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We would love to hear from you on the next episode of We've Got Mail, or if you listen to this episode later and mm-hmm. like you missed that deadline, write in again. We do want to give more time to Cicely Tyson, and we want to yield the floor to people who know more than we do, because as much as we try to know about cinema, there's always mm-hmm. something we don't, yeah. and there's always mm-hmm. something that we... I cannot so. we we cannot be the ones to eulogize her for a dozen different reasons. Mm-hmm. So but, but, we want to yield the floor. But we're wise enough to recognize what a giant she was, yes. and we did want. To, we can't just sort of let it, let her go by unmentioned. Oh God, no! no we, like, I can't we, even we have to. We have to. We have to talk about Cecily. It's Tyson. important. So please, please write in. Tell us your Cecily Tyson story. Yes. Uh, if if you encountered her at an early age, if you met her, that'd yeah, be great. Love I'd love to hear you. hear about. Uh, yeah. What a person she it's, was. It's important if. If you, if you want to speak intelligently about something, if you want to uh, uh, help be part of creating a dialogue about something, to own up to when your knowledge just fails you. Mm. Uh, you don't want to pretend you know more than you do, and I never want to do that. So everything I saw her in, she was amazing in. I respected the hell out of her. I knew why she was significant. Mm. I don't didn't see enough of her work to give her the proper send-off. So please write it. Thank you. All right, it's time to review some new releases. Always an awkward segue. Uh, And uh, this week, you know, the last week we reviewed like, I think like 20 movies or something. It was absurd. We got a lot. We got a lot done. Uh, So this time we decided we could could see just a couple of films. (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) So this time we only saw, we we saw again, we saw uh, The Little Things, a new uh, serial killer cop movie starring Denzel Washington, Rami Malek, and Jared Leto. Uh, you saw uh, The Queen of Black Magic, a new horror movie on Shudder. Mm-hmm. Uh, you saw Palmer, which is a new um, drama on Apple TV+. And again, Streaming Club, Stuntman. So let's start with The Little Things. Uh, the Little Things, from the director of The Blind Side. Uh, oh! S- so, oh! You know, so, oh. You know, as, good, oh. as good as Fincher was in Zodiac... Uh, <laughs> Is uh, is a '90s serial killer movie that's set in 19, October of 1990, 
Yeah. And uh, feels they, like it could have been made in the 1990s in a lot uh, of ways. Conceptually, yes. Yeah, the story um, could how, have been. It would have been told differently, but the yeah. story could have been told. In fact, uh, that that's sort of like the first error that this picture makes. Uh, the little things is set in the 90s. It's a serial killer film that we had a lot of in the 90s. Oh yeah, no uh, following the the gigantic success of the Silence of the Lambs, there was this gigantic slew of. Uh, serial killer and, and copycat kind of movies, including Copycat. Yeah, which uh, is very underrated. Yeah, copycat's film. really good. Seven was was part of that boom, uh, and many others besides. In fact, one called The Bone Collector starred Denzel Washington. Yeah. It's uh, a pulpy yeah. but good movie. Yeah, we we, He's really good we established the, the time by having somebody listening to Rome uh, by the B-52s, <laughs> which it, is a it, weird counter, uh, like, ironic music cue to, to start off your horror scene. The 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 music cues mm. in this movie are insufferable. <laughs> There's a bit where Rami Malek and Denzel Washington are, they're cops, and they're mm. in a car, and they're going to follow a guy, and the song, I will follow him, yeah. follow him wherever he mm. may go. And I'm like, oh, come on. It's not that cute. And, and they're listening to a radio station that they call, I think, KHRT. Yeah, K-Heart. Because K-R-T-H, K-Earth, which is the actual oldie station here in Los Angeles. Uh-huh. I guess they couldn't get the rights to that. No, I, it, I, I, I was fine with that, All actually. Because right. that, that's the kind of radio... We used to have more radio stations like that in, in Los Angeles, especially mm. in the AM stations. Okay. I remember uh, back in the 90s, for like a year or two, we had a station that played nothing but the Beatles. Oh yeah, twenty four seven. I remember that. Yeah, so the idea of having a radio station that was that specific was more common at the time, and nowadays mm. we have satellite radio stations for it, and they just have that constantly, yeah. and it's mm. just like on like an automatic. Like, it's it's loop, the, the but, I, yeah the iPod approach. Yeah, so like that's not that weird mm. actually, uh, but. Um, Denzel Washington is a disgraced cop, and uh, he's now working as a sheriff just outside of Los Angeles. Or not yeah. even a sheriff, he's a deputy. Yeah, and, and like, uh, and I think I got the impression it was a bit further away than that. It was like Barstow or something like that. Yeah. A bit of a drive. Yeah. But, uh, look, uh, this, after a young woman escapes a serial killer, uh, it turns out that it ties into a case that he used to work on back when he was, before he was disgraced. But then he had a really bad week where he had a heart attack and something really horrible happened on the case he was working on, which we learn about at the end of the movie. And he was disgraced and drummed out of the force and now was forced to live outside of L.A. And now uh, Rami uh, Malek, uh, mm-hmm. who you probably know from something from like uh, Mr. Robot, he won an Academy Award for Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, he's the new hotshot homicide mm-hmm. detective who basically took Denzel Washington's place. Literally, there's a conversation where they talk about it. Um, and uh, he's on the trail of this serial killer and he's just sort of vaguely interested in this disgraced cop. And he actually invites him to come along when they find a new body. Mm. And at first it seems like he's like going to be like, oh, just show me what you got, hot stuff. And then Denzel Washington's like, well, there's all these things you missed. Mm. And Rami Malek's like, oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> I actually like Rami Malek a lot in this movie. I think oh, yeah, Denzel yeah. Washington is doing something Denzel Washington has done a hundred times. He's played cops at least five times he's played, before. He's played yeah. cops. He's played... Uh, damaged people working in or around uh, crime mm. scenes. I was actually really reminded of a movie he made, I think, with Carl Franklin called Out of Time, mm. uh, in which he played a cop, I think, in Hawaii. It was in Miami. It was Miami, yeah. and it was and it was a beach town. And um, yeah, he's like he's corrupt, but not like in a cool way, just in like an everyday corrupt kind of way. And, <laughs> like today's the day when like all of, all of his machinations come crashing down around him. Mm. I haven't seen that since it came out. I really liked it at the time though. I remember mm. thinking it had a fun energy to it. Yeah. Like it was a little surprise because so Denzel Washington can sometimes gravitate to very serious 
you know, very uh, uh, projects with a lot of gravitas. Mm-hmm. Whether well, or not he, it works. He so. brings it, is, is the thing. Of, yeah. He brings uh, Den- a lot of depth to a lot of Denzel characters. Washington is uh, one of the best actors working, period. Sure. And sure. Uh, even when he's doing little throw-offs like this, he does bring whatever soul he can. Yeah. Uh, it's a pity that he's working so hard to bring so much soul to such a shitty screenplay. It's not a good screenplay. Because there's, the, there's not much of a mystery. Uh, they, no. they find out that uh, Jared Leto is their main, is their uh, prime suspect. Yeah, and, and, they, is, and, they, and he enters the story about halfway through the movie. But he's in all the trailers mm. for it, and there's this bit, it's so fucking awkward. There's this bit where Denzel Washington is chasing down a lead. Mm. And he like looks in like a back room of a store where he thinks maybe some of the store maybe has something to do with it. Mm. And there's like three people in the back room and they all turn to look at Denzel Washington. And one of them is Academy Award winner Jared Leto, who Mm. played the Joker. So you're just like, well, it's him. (laughs) (laughs) And then we're going to get back to him in like, what, 20 minutes? What the fuck? We know it's Jared Leto. Jared Leto is so deeply method, like he changed his appearance. He's wearing the like dark contacts. So he might not even be readily uh, recognizable. No, he looks like Jared Leto. He looks like Jared Leto with I never, eyes. No, he looks like Jared Leto. Jared Leto is one of those actors who likes to change his like appearance a lot for stuff. So it's like, mm. it's not, he's totally recognizable. Like it, <laughs> you it, can it, see through it now. It, it completely. Like maybe if he was wearing like dark sunglasses mm. or something, they could have got away with that. But no, it's just basically mm. like, oh, look, it's Jared Leto. Yeah, a lot of those 90s thrillers though, um, if, th- if this is meant to be a throwback to these 90s thrillers, which I think it, is maybe maybe it's hard to tell i don't think it's very self-aware so it's hard well, to really give it a lot of credit for the that. thing about those movies is that they were oh just breathtakingly salacious mm-hmm. they, they always reveled in the violence and the sex of it yeah they it were airport always, novels yeah, they, even they were the really, best of them were airport novels yeah they, it, even the silence of the lambs yeah, sounds the lambs said they, these, these are, are really all... these are really pulpy uh, uh kind of uh yeah viscerally exciting kinds of films. Yeah, if and they these... were good, it was a, it was a nice byproduct of the talent mm. working on it, but they didn't have to be good. That wasn't yeah, why we were there. <laughs> there's also like, but you know, the glory shots of the corpse and the serial yeah. killer has this weird MO where he's going to arrange the bodies in some weird way. Yeah. Uh, I guess the TV show Hannibal kind of outdid it because it just went so far yeah, into, went the, into like this comic book universe. It, I feel like it went into surreality pretty quick. Yeah. Like, um, oh, like, like here, here's bodies, but somehow they've managed to make them into mushrooms. And yeah. So it's just we've carved mushroom, off yeah. their backs, and now they're angel wings floating mm. above them. And it's just sort of like, remember the totem pole? Yeah, it's like it's, it's like ridiculous. thirty bodies on a beach, and I love it. Like it's amazing. It's like, oh, but well, you can't, clearly, clearly, look, our our killer is clearly Christo. Yeah, and we need to. Uh, no, like Hannibal is like exists in a world of serial killer Batman villains. Like that's what and I love that about that show. I think so it, I, I, I think, think it, I think it doesn't pretend to be grounded after a while. I don't think that works for that one. But. So I, I think if you're going to make a serial killer thriller like that in 2021, uh, you can't really go down the salacious path anymore. So they tried to kind of make it really subdued to the yeah. point where not a damn thing happens in the movie. No, it's really frustrating. It's basically just Denzel Washington feels bad, but you don't know why. And mm. it's pretty clear. Maybe you don't know the exact details, but it's pretty clear something happened. And like we kind of predict more or less where it's going and what we're mm. going to find out about him. Uh, Rami Malek is... It's interesting because normally the pairing with... You know, if you're going to pair a cop with an aged, disgraced cop who's, like, working through his baggage, you typically mm. pair him with someone maybe a little younger and idealistic. You know, something like Training Day. 
with Denzel Washington. <laughs> but, like, Ethan Hogg is playing a guy who's, like, yeah, he's been a cop for a while, but he's never done this before. Mm. So Denzel Washington's experience, even though he's playing a much more outgoing character in that movie, um, is in contrast. We're looking at idealism versus cynicism. Mm. Looking for uh, optimism versus just flat-out corruption. Um, here, Rami Malek is... I mean, Rami Malek's, like, in his late 30s. Like, he's... He's already an experienced... He's a, yeah. a detective. Yeah, he's, he's made not, detective. He's yeah. not idealistic. He has a different style, but he's not idealistic. So, like, they actually don't contrast very well. They just sort of form a regard for one another pretty quick. Mm. And then they're and then that's it for their character development. Like, there's nowhere else for them to go, really. Um, eventually, they figure out, like, it's probably this Jared Leto guy. And at that point, but they can't prove it. No, they can't. Of course, they, like they there's can. Su- yeah. some circumstantial he's things. Smart. And he's also he's a complete creep, and he's yeah. like into serial killer stuff. Yeah, but that doesn't necessarily like it's all circumstantial. Yeah, he could just be a creep. That doesn't necessarily mean he's a serial killer. We don't have any hard evidence to suggest that it's, he is. No, not illegal to be a creep. Yeah. Well, depends on what your creepiness well, I, yeah, is. But so. uh, <laughs> but the thing is, though, is that at this point. I'm not going to go into any details because if you are going to watch this movie, I don't want to ruin what what little you know there is to be uh, to be unpredictable, so to speak. Um, Rami Malek makes two or three of the stupidest decisions I've ever seen anyone make in a cop movie in the course of like an hour. Yeah, yeah, and like not like an hour like in the movie, not just an hour of watching it. Like Mm. within the reality of the movie, and I don't buy it. I don't buy that he's so far gone that he's going to make these incredibly foolish, a series mm. of incredibly foolish decisions. If he has not, like, been defeated enough, he has not had his ideals crashed, he has not been corrupted to that extent, he mm. is not that obsessive that he would make these kinds of foolish mistakes. The movie that I, I was starting to get reminded of after a while uh, was uh, The Vanishing. Okay. Uh, the Vanishing was an. Re- oh God! It's a Dutch film. It's a Dutch film. Okay, yeah. I was trying to remember the country. Um, the original film was eventually remade in Hollywood, and they tacked on this happy ending, which is just awful. Same director, though. Same director. Yeah. I, just, they, the, the, I assume the studio was just like, we can't use this ending, which is a shame because the ending of The Vanishing is everything. And hmm. uh, please, if you have, I'm not going to run it. Please, if you haven't seen it, see The Vanishing, the original version. It's incredible, and it's about a guy who's on a road trip with his, I forget, girlfriend or wife. They're in a serious relationship, and they stop at, uh, you know, a, a roadside weighing station, gas station, diner. She goes off to get some drinks. He's waiting by the car, and he's still waiting by the car, and she never comes back. Mm. And he's trying to find out what happened to her, and then years go by, and he's completely obsessed. And all that we know is that this other guy who was there had something to do with it, but we don't know what he did. Hmm. And so it's a story about obsession. And when you spend like two years not knowing something, I'm willing to believe that you'll make some choices that I, as a viewer, won't make because I've only lived with this story for like an hour. But Hmm. I believe that this guy, who has been obsessing over something for two years, will follow the villain... Mm. into some terrible situations just to get the answers he's been craving this whole time. Yeah. I don't buy that Rami Malek is there okay. where he will make a stupid decision just to solve the crime. Mm. 
he has all the time in the fucking world to solve the crime. It's stupid. Well, the, the problem is they don't do a lot of detecting. They just yeah. are pretty sure it's this one guy and they yeah. just decide to follow him around. Yeah, Denzel Washington they don't, follows they don't some leads, like, figures know. that it's probably this guy, and then that's that, basically. Yeah. So it's it's not really a detective story. It's not a good character story. It's not a good period piece. No. Uh, the filmmakers were really good about finding the parts of Los Angeles that haven't changed a lot since the night. I since did appreciate that. As, as an L.A., and, and they, we're, um, we're both like L.A. natives. Yeah. So like we we know what it used to look like and it's pretty yeah, accurate. I, I, I wish there was one just sort of like a, a history baiting moment where uh, they like recreated one thing that was around. Like they go back, they go past like the whiskey and some nineties band. Is there you go. Uh, tonight, three doors down. Uh, and in fact, uh, <laughs> like there was there was a, a one really great bit of production design, and this is a detail I'm going to dwell on because okay. it was the part I liked the most and actually got me off on. I actually had to pause the movie and went off on this like weird tangent. What did what happened? Um, when they go to the victim's apartment, one yeah. of, uh, it's a young woman and she's been killed, and she. Uh, she has a great vinyl collection. She has a great cassette collection, which is accurate to 1990. And if you look at her fridge, not only is there a whole slew of Ticketmaster uh, concert tickets ah. on her fridge, but there is a No Doubt flyer. Ooh. Now, this is 1990. They had not popped yet. They hadn't put out their first record yet. So you think she just knew them as a local band? They were a local band. They played in, like, oh, they, awesome. they played in, like, uh, like gigs in uh, in West Hollywood and in Long Beach. Mm. And if you were like a young hipster in the know in 1990, yeah, you're probably going to go see you, no doubt. That's cool. And I actually found, like I stopped the movie and looked up online and found the flyer in question. Wow. And found the date where it, and the place where they played. Which it was is a, probably it, where the production crew found that to, to it, put it in the movie. It's entirely possible to yeah. the, Ro- the Roxy up on Sunset. Yeah. The, the, no doubt played at the Roxy in, uh, in I love those like, details. Uh, spring of 1990. And, you can, a, and I found a video of that concert. So I'm like stopping the movie to watch a No Doubt concert saying, wow, this film does not have me. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, there's a, I remember there's this great horror movie from the late eighties mm. uh, starring Jenny Wright called I Madman. And mm. uh, it's from the director of the gate, which has like, I think a proper cult now. Mm. Um, great sort of kids horror movie, a little darker than a lot of like the lost boys, monster squads. They were mm. out at the time, more of a horror movie than a kid's movie. But he also made this great movie called I Madman, which starred uh, Jenny Wright as a woman who worked at a bookstore that actually was in Burbank at the mm. time. And you could actually like see the bookstore. And I'm like, oh, I used to go to that bookstore whenever we were in Burbank. <laughs> it was a great bookstore. And when we went to her apartment, they had a wonderful detail. This is a detail that would have been very contemporary at the time. But looking back at it now, it was like being like, oh, time machine. Uh, she had... The latest New Beverly screening calendar. <laughs> the nice. New Beverly, which is where Whitney works right now, mm-hmm. actually, has is a long-running uh, repertory th- uh, movie theater mm-hmm. uh, revival house in Los Angeles. And they have had, for like the majority of their time that I was aware of, uh, a like an actual calendar that they would like put at like Gary's coffee shops or video mm. stores and you could pick up and you would know what was playing at the new Beverly every day of the week. And the design for that calendar barely changed over the course of decades. Uh, by it, that was intentional. Oh, yeah, it was, it was yeah, branded were, practically yeah. at that point. So like, I, part of, I actually started because I loved seeing I Madman and like seeing that detail in there. I'm like, Oh, she likes cool movies. Well, I like her now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I was actually like scanning for details and I can't believe I missed that. That's really fun. Yeah. That's cool. Um, John Lee Hancock directed this. And John Lee Hancock 
is one of those filmmakers who he directs movies that are pretty well made, even if they're not good. Uh, he directed <laughs> Saving Mr. Banks, which is a handsomely produced movie, which is shit. Yeah. He produced The Blind Side, which is a handsomely produced movie, which is also kind of shit. Yeah. Uh, um, he, he's he's the Brett Ratner of Hollywood weepy dramas. Yeah, he did The Rookie, which I think I saw when it came mm. out. And I, I, I didn't see it. The Rookie. The Rookie but I, might I did be his, see the, best, mm. his most beloved film. All right. Well, I, I saw The Blind Side, which mm. was... A bit of a big deal at the time. It was one of those yeah. awards contenders. Uh, so, uh, Sandra Bullock was making yeah. like a concerted effort to get an Academy Award, which mm. she did. Mm. Probably for the wrong movie. I would have given it to her for Gravity, but whatever. Um, it it <sighs> is what it is. Yeah. It's kind of a condescending and, uh, well, and, 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 shitty movie when and, it comes to Rachel Dynamics. And, and Saving Mr. Banks is a Disney film about how great Walt Disney was and how all of his decisions were right. Yeah. Even when he was stamping all over the memory of, of P.L. Travers. Yeah. Uh, but uh, he also did The Founder, which I actually never saw. I heard was pretty good. I wanted to see that one. Oh, you just, never got around to no, that? No, I didn't okay. see that one either. Well, fair enough. Um, but, not, but now he's doing a thriller, and uh, it feels like there's not a lot of... He doesn't have an operational ethos. No. There's There's not an interest, an angle he's bringing to this material. He's just sort of sleepwalking through it, as is everybody. Yeah. Denzel Washington is trying, but there's I don't think there's like meat here for him to bite everyone's, into. Everyone's got one note, dour. Yeah. Everyone's just being dour. Everyone's being serious, and it feels like I'm. But watching... it's not like depressive, like no. something like Seven is. No, it's just it's just kind of dreary, and I feel like that's an okay starting point for a crime movie. But at some point, you need to bring in some sort of dramatic contrast in order to keep our interest. And the movie just never does. Like it's 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 well shot. Mm. The actors are doing the best they can with the material. It's one of those movies where if you're like half paying attention and like playing like homescapes on your phone <laughs> or whatever mm-hmm. you know you're only like half watching it you might think it's really good but if you actually really sit there and watch it you realize it's actually really hollow it's another one of those like cop movies that i think we really maybe need to start Not moving away from anymore this. yeah i think we really need to start moving away from the kind of cop drama where the where they ultimately argue that it's okay if cops are corrupt if this time they're pretty sure the guy did it mm. And that is an attitude we need to fucking strike from the record. Well, that, because, that's like, something we're seeing. We're, we're covering the old Batman TV show on yeah. another podcast of ours. It's an attitude we find a lot in the Batman show. Yeah, from the 60s. And, and that's it's a, a kid's show, basically. It's a, it's, yeah, it's a kid's comedy show from the 60s. And it's still the cops. Uh, it's okay. We can bend the rules for you, Batman. Yeah, it's okay. We can, we can yeah. like, terrify this person into thinking Batman's going to beat the crap out of mm. them. And then, and then we'll get the information. And it's fine, right? No, actually. And again, if this was like a once in a while kind of movie, that might be fine, but it's the norm. And a yeah. lot of it is because, and they even talk about Miranda rights in the movie. Um, when Miranda rights became part of the operating procedure, hmm. uh, when basically everyone who the police arrested was required to be made aware of their rights so that they would know when the police were overstepping their bounds, when they were abusing them, when they were uh, trying to incriminate them, because that was happening a lot. Mm-hmm. And there was a spate of movies that came out after that, which basically argued, if our police can't be shockingly violent and corrupt, the criminals are just going to get away with it. And when really the argument right. should have been, aren't the police criminals in this context? And the answer is, yeah. yeah. 
And again, and, if this and was a once that, in a while kind of movie, fine. But there's so many movies. Like the, the last Bad Boys was about this, about how like ah, Will Smith needs to go outside the law for a while, and, like hit a guy's head with a hand with a mallet in order to get information out of him. And then Joe Pantoliano is just like, well, at least he got the information. Mm. The fuck, he's supposed <laughs> to be a hero. And that's that's something you'll see in in the real world as well, like yeah. in news conferences. Oh, how how dare you defund the police? You will just let the murderers run rampant without us. Yeah. It's like, well, but if you're if you're most of the murderers here, yeah. And again, this might sound like we're going off on a rant here, but when we talk about what when a movie is good, when a movie is worthy of criticism, we're not just talking about whether it fits our own political uh, beliefs or mm. philosophical ideals or even our ethics, because there's a lot of movies about really shitty people that I love. Mm. It's possible to tell those stories ethically, but even that's. Neither, neither here nor there What we're talking about is a matter of taste mm. And what I think is interesting Is that with the conversation Around police corruption And police violence Shifting dramatically in this country The idea of watching A cop movie In which p- the police do things That are undeniably illegal At various points in this movie uh, Ostensibly because it's the right thing To do in this context That's the movie's basic argument Maybe it will torture them But at least maybe justice was served, that kind of thing. Um, or at least like the person who meant well won't go to prison or something like that. Right. Um, that seems like it's in poor taste. Yeah. Especially when it's so dominant. And as a result, my tastes are shifting and you're going to have to do a lot of extra work to get a movie like this have me on board. You either need to well, really, really, really get into the muck about the ethics of it yeah. And acknowledge it, or you need to make it like so flagrantly irresponsible that it becomes just kind of fun to watch. Yeah, it becomes like yeah, they, 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 because we know like it's a, not realistic. There's like a juvenile quality to it. Mm. You can get away with that. It's hard, but you can do it. Mm. Here, it's like it's like yeah, man, this is just like the way it fucking is, and oh, these these horrible heroes have to live with the shit that they've done, but at least they're keeping them, the world mm. safe. And I'm like, no, you lost me a long well, fucking time ago. I'm I'm pretty sure they. Maybe that was one of the reasons it was set in the '90s, because mm. they were kind of taking the curse off of this. Oh, it's it's a period piece, mm-hmm. it's a throwback, where where the corruption was not being analyzed yet, but it doesn't play because there's not any personality to the piece. Yeah. It's really kind of dull. Yeah, again, it's one of those movies where I talk a lot about uh, the four star, three star movie, mm. uh, where. The movie was only designed to be three stars. It wasn't trying to like blow your mind or raise your mm-hmm. consciousness or anything. But it's as good as it can possibly be. So even though it's only a three-star movie, it's as good as it can be. So it's kind of a four-star movie. Again, this is, I feel like, is the opposite. This is like this is just a, a one-star, one three-star. Yeah. This is like a one-star, three-star movie. We're like, it's <laughs> slick enough that it's uh, like as well-made as it could possibly be. But at its core, it's just not that good. Yeah. So yeah, yeah it's, it's a big old letdown. Uh, but um, who knows? Maybe there were other good films this week. Tell me about The Queen of Black Magic. Uh, the Queen of Black Magic is a film that uh, premiered on Shudder this week. Uh, it's an Indonesian film. Uh, it uh, is about a group of people who are coming from various uh, various walks to reassemble at an orphanage uh, that is very remote and very far away. Orphanages that are remote and far away are where pleasant things happen in horror movies. Oh, sure. Same with abandoned asylums and yeah. uh, you know, 
disused hospitals. Monsters wouldn't attack you. There would be gauche. Yeah. <laughs> they like, would no. they would attack an orphanage. It's like an Highlander, uh, hallowed yeah. ground. You're not allowed to fight there. Monsters course, are just uh, like abandoned orphanages. No, some that's, of, that's tacky. Yeah, some of the cas, uh, some of the the characters in the movie came from the orphanage, so they're sort of contesting uh like wrestling with maybe some bad memories they had there. Some of them had some good memories there. And of course, haunted shit goes down. Uh on the way up, we are introduced to a family. Uh, it's a, a mother, a father, and their three kids, and they hit a deer on the way up. And uh, a little later in the movie, they realize when they look at the car, oh, there's some blood on the car. That's too bad. Wait a minute. That's not deer hair. That's human hair. Oh. Uh, and rather responsibly, they go back to where they hit the deer, and they find a dead body and a bus full of dead orphans. Oh, uh, wow. And, and an egg full of supernatural bugs that crawl into a guy and push his eyeballs out from the inside. So there's some twisted shit going on. Right at the beginning. Well, I mean, it, it takes a little while to establish all of this. But, like, but, but uh, that's only like the first act, right? This, yeah, that's, that's in the first act. That's, that's, that's kicking into high gear well, pretty yeah, early. And, and they tell ghost stories about stuff that might have happened. It turns out some of those things really did happen and somebody died in this room and they buried her under the floorboards and now she wants revenge. And there's further twists beyond that as to the circumstances of her life and death. Um but in terms of just sort of ex- its extreme horror and gore and fear, this is nudging up against like a Coffin Joe movie in terms of its just extreme gallows glee. So it, that uh, means it's extremely your shit. It, it's it's kind of up my alley. Okay. <laughs> Uh, like it, it, at first there's a lot of like twisted things, like people's minds are being invaded and there's a, a, a scene kind of like, um, like the face scene in Poltergeist ah. where uh, a woman who's neurotic about her appearance, like looks at, <laughs> looks in a mirror, has a knife. What do you think a ghost would have her do? Um, it's pr- pretty twisted stuff. Uh, yeah, there's a bunch of centipedes in the movie and somebody thinks they have centipedes under their skin. Uh, and Low, wouldn't you know what they actually do? There's a lot of bugs and centipedes and stuff. I have a particular phobia for centipedes, so when they showed up, I was really just squicked out incredibly. Until we find that things just sort of escalate from there, and characters eventually find themselves kind of in rooms of their own making where they're suffering constantly. Uh, the movie goes to hell. <laughs> and I mean, I mean that in a literal sense. And by the time everyone's just sort of like a character's walking down the hall and you just for the last act of the movie, hear everybody wailing in agony from other rooms in the building. You realize, okay, yeah, (laughs) this is kind of scary. This is this is terrifying. This is this is some this is some good, good twisted shit. There's like decapitations and violence. I heard so much good shit about this movie. And I even told you we should we should try to review it this week. And then uh, shit happened, and I couldn't fit it in. Duh. And I'm mad, and yeah. I'm going to see it. I'm totally going to see it because well, Shutter if you is like a, it, yeah. and you're kind of a you know can be a harsh critic sometime. I really want to take a, take a look. Uh, Shutter is doing a, a big push this year, and I think they're releasing a, an original. One original film every week for the next eleven weeks or something. Yeah, this is their small axe time. They're, they're, <laughs> and and you know, Shutter uh, they do finance some of their own projects. Most of what they show are acquisitions. This is clearly an international acquisition. Right. Um, but yeah, it's totally totally worth checking out if you like that kind of you know a horror film that's actually scary. Yeah. 
uh, in addition to being thrilling and twisted. I, I feel like, and again, I didn't see this, mm. but I feel like there's this, like... It's kind of... I, I hate referring to this as a genre, and yet it totally is. Mm. Uh, the A24 horror movie genre. <laughs> where everything <laughs> is... Kind of subdued and... and everything is subdued un- and portentous mm. and prone to, like really showy performances, good performances. I'm not mm. decrying, you know, Tony Collette and hereditary. She's amazing in that movie, but like they're like art house f- dramas that happen to be horror movies a lot of the time. Mm. Um, and you know, they're, they usually are kind of slow and uh, very, uh, almost apocalyptic in tone. And mm. then they explode in some way towards you're the a, end. And right. it, it, it comes at nights. You're, yeah. uh, the, the lighthouses, etc. Yeah. 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 And they're different kinds of movies, but they all have a similar vibe. Mm. And, um, as with almost any trend in horror, I'm a, I'm a little tired of it. Uh, you know, it gets, it wears a little bit. Mm. Um, and I kind of miss the balls to the wall. And I mean, like we we like cut them off and threw them at a wall, <laughs> kind well, of violent, the, uh, crazy, yeah, the, you know, splatterhouse kind of horror yeah, movies. When it, when it comes, I feel to, like that genre is due for a comeback. Well, when it comes to American horror, um, studios learned long ago that, uh, like o- over twenty five years ago, that they can get a lot more butts in seats if they rate their film PG thirteen. Yeah, younger kids can go see it now. Yeah, and younger and, kids uh, will like think, oh, we're seeing a horror movie. Yeah. How adults, and so yeah, and as such, the you know, the kinds of weird, twisted, gory shit we grew up with, you know, your, your Nightmare on Elm Streets and your Texas Chainsaw Massacres have fallen by the wayside. The The trend toward gore has kind of gone away. Yeah. And, it, and it's actually seen as, even by younger audiences, as kind of gauche. I think after yeah. the torture wave, people were like, okay, we don't need extreme violence we, anymore. We kind of pushed it a little too I far. Think, I think the torture wave mm. was all about how violence is unpleasant. And hey, it is. Mm. Um, and that was this very post-9-11... Um, it's really hard to divorce ourselves from the reality of the real violence, horror. Yeah. Of reality violence, exactly. So horror movies kind of leaned into it for a while, and I actually think it's a really interesting wave of horror movies, even though you know many of them aren't good. Mm. Um, but I do think there's a place for violence, and I do mm. think that there's uh, movies that can tackle violence in a way that is both respectful enough of violence to make it scary, uh, but also can be entertaining in a way because mm-hmm. we're looking for a form of catharsis. We're afraid of violence yeah. uh, and finding in a horror movie well, fashion, a way to uh, purge that from our system, from our psyche, from mm-hmm. our uh, data banks of uh, anxiety uh, that can be very effective and useful mm-hmm. and also fun. Yeah. You know, in the right, in the, in the right hands. Uh, certain kinds of movie violence uh, is fun and horror movie violence is fun for uh, someone like me. Who's wearing a Fangoria t-shirt. So yeah, I I really, really enjoyed this. And uh, I I do find a good deal of pleasure in some of those PG-13 rated haunting movies, which are are in vogue right now. And those uh, really understated A24 mood pieces. I think a lot of those are quite good as well. I'm not decrying the genre. It's just, you know, familiarity doesn't Mm. necessarily... Uh, make it good recipe for fear mm. because familiarity and, breeds contempt, not, uh, a, not, you know, mystery and anguish. And, you know, the, this, the approach to gore in this film is actually rather innovative. Mm. There's a, a way to show a lot of really extreme violence, which uh, where the violence is depicted as being very brutal. Yeah. And that's not fun violence because we're actually feeling the pain of the victim. 
uh, here it's like sort of imaginary violence. We pan around to somebody's back and their back is turned into this big spongy Swiss cheese and there's scarabs crawling out of it. It's like, well, I can't, I can't relate to that, but, uh, so it's a little yeah, bit more that's fun. Unlike, that's <laughs> unlikely to happen to me. So I can appreciate mm. sort of the, the, um, someone was mentioning on Twitter like a long time ago, like why do horror fans, Mm. Uh, get worked up over creative kills. Isn't that something a little dark? And it's mm. like... Well, A, yes, but... Uh, yeah, but also at the same time, we're, there's a certain amount of just creative fascination with, you know, taking something, a plot point that's in tons of movies. People die all the time in stories. Mm-hmm. And coming up with a new way to do it. And if you can come up with a new way to do it, after a while, you're just sort of like, oh, well done. I'm reminded of a of an episode of South Park Okay. Where Kenny, I forget what it was, Kenny died in a spectacularly innovative way. And it was like <laughs> season nine by this point. So he died a million times. And uh, in the middle of the story, just every, Kenny died. And instead of going, oh my God, you killed Kenny, you bastards. All the characters were just like, you know what? That was a good one. <laughs> well done this time. Yeah. Like at some point, you just have to go, you know what? You, well, you it's, thought of it's, an interesting way to deal with something that's in every yeah, horror movie. We, you know? We've seen you so many people. Uh, we've seen people die so many times. Uh, we, we start to appreciate the creativity. It's like a good dance sequence, isn't it? You, yeah. can, you can watch somebody dance. Uh, how many car chases have I seen? A lot. How many of them are good? Not a lot. Yeah, like a few. M- maybe 10% are going to be kind of exciting. And then there's that one, like in Mission Impossible 6, where we actually get to see him fly off the motorcycle or, you know, zip yeah. around town. You get a good sense of the geography of the place. You're like, so wow. Well done. Okay, yeah. this is exciting. This is why we this have is, car chases. Yeah, yeah exactly. All, 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 like, I had to sit through a thousand other shitty car chases to get this one. Yeah, and, and it's uh, almost worth it. It's so cool. Yeah, so uh, it, it's always notable when you have creative death and creative gore and creative mayhem because there's so much joy to be had in it. Well, I'll have to check that out. Is there a lot of creative gore in Palmer? No. <laughs> uh, so it's not very creative gore, then. Uh, no, uh, Palmer is not a gore film. Why are we reviewing this? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, go ahead. Uh, Palmer is a drama, it stars Justin Timberlake. It's directed by Fisher Stevens. Oh, uh, Academy, Academy Award winner, Fisher Stevens. Also who, uh, a character actor extraordinaire from Super Mario Brothers the movie and Hackers. And hackers, and, and many other things besides. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's a long, varied career. I like Fisher Stevens F- a lot. Fisher, yeah, and he's, and he's great. I like Fisher Stevens a lot too. And yeah. uh, he, uh, he directed this one. This is a drama uh, starring Justin Timberlake who plays a former high school football star who committed a crime and is now an ex-con. He's just got out of prison. And uh, he's staying with his grandma, played by June Squibb. Oh, great. And then this is uh, like, this is a a small, conservative, kind of bigoted town. And uh, she occasionally looks after a young boy uh, named Sam. And Sam is like maybe eight. And Sam uh, is gets picked on a lot because Sam likes to wear girly clothing, oh. wears pink cowboy boots and watches fairy shows and has tea parties with his girlfriends. And although the film never explicitly states it kind of disappointingly, Sam is a little bit genderqueer. Sam may be a little girl. Yeah. Sam never says I'm a girl and nobody says you might be a girl. Who do you think you're a boy or do you think you're a girl? Like there's yeah. no talk to that extent. Yeah. They never directly. Address um, it, yeah. But Sam is, is very girly. Yeah. And uh, this, this concerns Justin Timberlake who rolls with it. He's actually, okay. Sam's really girly. That's Sam. Yeah. That's not, I, I, that's I actually, not a I actually, I actually like this kid. Yeah. Uh, 
Sam's mom is played by Juno Temple and Juno Temple's uh, character is a complete wasteoid and she's a drug addict and she's never around for the kid and she's constantly leaving town without saying anything. So June Squibb is looking after Sam a lot. And uh, after a while, after June Squibb passes away uh, partway through the movie, uh, it's up to Justin Timberlake to look after Sam and kind of become his slash her dad. Yeah. And uh, okay. And it continues a pace about just sort of the the legal uh, complications into uh, looking after this child when child protective services have been called on the mom, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's yeah. it's um it's a very low key drama. It's more about sort of these incidental moments of parenting that Justin Timberlake finds himself kind of incidentally falling into mm. when caring for Sam, and uh, how he recognizes that Sam is uh, in a position where he's going to get picked on a lot and in fact bullied a lot. And in fact is indeed bullied, not just by kids, but also by adults. Like some adults hold Sam down and like paint his face with makeup. That it's that, that scene isn't on camera, but we get to see the aftermath of it. And this uh, this takes place in the present day in the present day. Yeah. And, uh, and so he realizes he's living in a really, he knows he's living in a really sort of bigoted town and he's trying to balance his need to, protect Sam, but also let Sam be himself or perhaps herself. Yeah. Um, I, I wish it had gone a little farther with, uh, with Sam's identity, Mm. uh, because that's, that's what this film is about. It's about not just that Sam is a peculiar child, but that Sam might be a trans child. Yeah. And how that experience can start at an early age and how much bigotry, a, a young child can run into even at an early age. Yeah. And it's kind of disappointing that it shies away from that language. There's a, there's, there's movies about stuff like this Mm. that are written, produced, made for Mm. uh, like the child in this example. Mm. And then there are movies like this that are made for the parents. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, so, you know, if you run into a child who doesn't fit your very narrow definition of what, Mm. you know, the human experience is like, uh, you gotta actually be cool. Mm. And like, that's the lesson that they learn. And there's like a really ham fisted treacly Christopher Columbus kind of way to do that. Mm. And there's actually like a halfway decent sort of Sundance movie kind of way to do that. There's mm. also a really treacly Sundance movie kind of way to do that. Yeah. Um, ultimately. Okay. It sucks that they don't address it directly, but in the end, does it come across as, you know, just kind of melodrama or does it actually feel kind of genuine and strong? It, it feels a, a little genuine. I, I, okay. Justin Timberlake is actually a very talented actor. Yes, and yeah, there was a long period when I really wanted to hate Justin Timberlake and I couldn't think of a reason why. There's no reason. There's he's no reason. Good at everything. Yeah, he's, he's really just handsome, charming, and talented. Yeah, That's he's like, a, he's and decent from what I understand. He's an incredible singer. He's an incredible dancer. Mm. He's a weirdly good actor. And, and do you remember like, when Sexy was gone? and he brought it back i remember when he brought sexy back and i was very grateful for it i don't remember when exactly it left i think around the time odelay came out i I think we lost sexy around that and then it came back eventually back when everybody was wearing like large jeans and flannel sexy was gone for a little bit but then justin like bless him brought it back um I like his number, and he's funny too. Like he's mm. actually like doesn't take his persona too seriously. Yeah, like so, he'll, he'll uh, do things that undermine like 
you know, the mm. sort of rarefied air around him is like sort of like the air apparent to like the king of pop kind of moniker. Right. And like, I don't think he's ever called himself that, but if other people call himself that, and Justin Timberlake was like, no, I'm just doing my thing, man. It's cool. I'm like, it is cool. You remember when he played the Academy Awards, I think when Jimmy Kimmel was hosting, hmm. and he opened it with like that song from Trolls. Oh yeah, and it was that was and it was fun, Can't and he was like feeling, in the right. audience, and like it was like it's just a good little energy. It's a cute song, mm. and then Jimmy Kimmel just came out and just immediately shat on Justin Timberlake's performance, <laughs> and he was just talking about like how it wasn't very good, and you just saw Justin Timberlake like almost cry in the audience, <laughs> and you knew it was a bit he was acting, but, but yeah. the fact that he was game for mm. that is actually like. Mm. Speaks like really it, highly. Just looked up and then he kind of like looked down at his lap. It's like <laughs> I tried really, really hard, worked really hard on that. <laughs> so he's really good in this, and yeah. I, and I love the chemistry he has with the, with the the Sam character, and that uh, they're sort of giving each other uh, permission to be who they are because he's an ex con and he doesn't have a lot of credibility in uh, when looking for a job. Right, the only job he can get is like janitor uh, school. Yeah, uh, so he's. And you know he applies for other jobs, like, and, but he's honest about it. But I'm an ex-con, and they say, "Oh, well, can't hire you then." Yeah, uh, which you know, a speaks to how horrible the, the prison system is in this country, yeah. but also um, Baskin Robbins will find out. Yeah, and, and you can't serve ice cream. What a tragedy! No, that was that was the joke in Ant Man. Like he was working at Baskin oh, right. Robbins, but he lied about being in prison. And it's like Baskin Robbins. I forget the exact quote. Baskin oh, Robbins right. always knows. That's right. He was working in the ice cream shop. Yeah, I forgot about that. Um, so yeah, th- because it is about this relationship between this man and this child uh, is is some of those moments are really really good, but it it doesn't feel like really kind of like a subdued indie drama. It does feel a little bit more slick. It's yeah. a little bit more professionally hewn. Uh, Fisher Stevens makes a l- more Hollywood type movies as a director mm. than he does like little indie dramas, even though he's made a few little indie dramas as well. Okay. Um, he, he, he tends to be sort of more warm and open as a director. Uh, and so there are a few really good moments, but it's, it doesn't have like the big punches. And, and yeah, like I said, I really wish that it had the trans conversation. It feels like there was a topic here that they were approaching and then it didn't actually broach. Weird. I wonder if there was like a draft where they did and like someone told them they had to like yeah, maybe tone so. it down or, or mm. like the people in the sticks were like, I don't know what the, I've heard shit like that before. I don't know. Oh, how cool. The, the sticks, like it's going to open theaters in any, anymore. Well, I mean, they're they're prob- sp- when it was being opened, made, yeah. it probably, that was probably the goal. This opened on Apple TV plus. And I think we need to yeah. stop. I think as producers and, you know, as, as uh, people who watch movies, we need to stop thinking of, where in the country or where around the world it's going to quote play because yeah. it's available everywhere now. So it's, yeah. it, we don't have to worry about distributing it different places when it's just going to be all around the world all on the same day. Yeah. Um, all right. Mm. So that's it for the new mm. releases for this week. Uh, we're going to review them on our critically acclaimed scale. Mm. Once again, that scale is from C minus to C plus where the lowest a movie can get, unless you're the movie cats is a C minus that's below average. Mm. Everything from, we just don't recommend it to the worst movie ever. Most movies get a C. Mm. A C is average. Mm. As well it should be. You know, some good and some bad. If you like that genre, maybe you like it more than others. <laughs> it's a C. And then there's a C plus, which is above average. That's a genuine recommendation from one of us. Maybe both. Maybe it's just quite good. Maybe it's the best movie ever made. It's somewhere in that range. Uh, okay, Whitney, on that mm. scale, Palmer. Palmer, a C. Okay. I, I wanted a little bit more, but what it did, it did pretty well. Fair enough. Mm. 
Okay. Uh, what was uh, the Queen of Black Magic? Queen of Black Magic, a C plus. Uh, uh, I just had a, a, such a blast with this. Uh, it's one of those ones where I was watching in a quiet room, so I just got to yell things like "ew, <laughs> oh, <laughs> ooh, yeah, slice, ew," like so that sort of stuff. I so the good one. Dang it. <laughs> it's uh, still there. You can still. Oh, see I'm it. going if, to. I just if you find the time, you can still see it. I have a conversation about it on the show, uh, and then uh, finally the little things, uh, which is a. <laughs> You know, again, if you there's some people who think that if a movie is like well shot and the performances are competent and good, that how bad can it be? Mm-hmm. Uh, quite, actually, is my answer to that. I think it is possible to do a lot of things right and ultimately just not have a good story to tell, and that's where we're at here. Yeah, story just isn't that interesting. Uh, the characters aren't in service of anything particularly meaningful. Thematically, it's not very rich. Um, it's just, just quite bad, isn't it? It's efficient. That's what I would say. I I don't even think it's efficient because it drags on. It's over two hours long. It is chewy and, and kind of. That's fair. Blunt and dull. It is. Okay. It is not efficient. I, I apologize. That is. That is absolutely <laughs> yeah. not the right word. You are correct yeah. about that. Um, it is. Whatever the fuck it is. I think my review on Twitter (laughs) was, uh, I just saw the little things, dot, dot, dot. And then it was a gif of Marge Simpson saying, no, let us never speak of this again. Um, Don't watch it. Don't go out of your way. That's right. It's It's playing in theaters. Don't risk it for this one. It's on HBO Max. Hmm. There are perfectly good Law & Order episodes available online that will be, they'll tell the same story better. I promise you. Um... All right, so that's it for the new releases. Uh, now we have the critically acclaimed streaming club. Once again, uh, it, we're watching all these movies on streaming. Mm-hmm. And streaming exists for more than just new releases. It's also where a lot of people get their classic films. And we wanted to take this opportunity, while there aren't really movies in theaters, uh, to shore up some of the gaps in our own film knowledge, which we freely admit that we have. Uh, and uh, every week we put on a poll two movies. On a particular streaming service in a particular category or genre or decade uh, that I haven't seen. And two movies that Whitney hasn't seen. Hmm. Maybe there's some overlap, but we each picked two. Uh, And this week, uh, we picked a movie that has actually long been one of my favorites. And Whitney had never seen The Stuntman. Whitney, tell people about mm-hmm. the stunt man. And this is on uh, Shout uh, TV. It's also on HBO Max. Pretty easy to find. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's it's on Shout Factory TV and in their cult section. This doesn't have the feeling of a cult movie, though. Um, maybe if it had been made like a decade earlier with Malcolm McDowell, but uh, well, it was this it, is it was actually a pretty big production, mm-hmm. but it got dumped. Mm-hmm. It was barely released in theaters. It made almost no money. A lot of people couldn't find it. In fact, yeah. if it wasn't nominated for a couple of Academy Awards, probably would have slipped under the radar altogether yeah, um, and barely discussed. Uh, it's so a, that's uh, why it's kind of culty, just because oh, it wasn't okay. well it's released. A, it's a 1980 film. It was written directed by Richard Rush, and uh, it is about a young uh, Vietnam vet who is... Uh, a, a little bit on the wrong side of the law now that he's back stateside. At the beginning of the movie, he runs afoul of a cop and uh, take a pause for a minute. Uh, he was playing Fireball, one of the best pinball machines ever. <laughs> that was I, a great pinball. I, I, I have, I have a, a sharp eye for pinball machines in, in the background of movies. I always want them to stop and look at the pinball machine for like a full minute just so I can look at it <laughs> and then continue with the movie. Uh, but in in the chase away from the cops, he runs a car off the road, and it turns out that car was involved in a stunt for a World War One film that was being shot nearby, and the stunt man inside the car dies. Uh, 
He runs onto the set. The director, played by Peter O'Toole, hears of the accident, understands exactly what's happening, sees that the cops are on his trail and says, well, I need a new stuntman. In not so many so many words, says, I need a new stuntman. You're it so I can hide you from the cops. Yeah. So and if that the cops we find out, and also if the cops find out my stuntman died, they're going to shut down the production, and we can't afford it. Yeah, so, so it, this is yeah. a mutual, um, mutually beneficial arrangement. Mm. Also, since mm. you're not really a stuntman and pretending to be someone else, theoretically, I could kill you on camera, and no one would ever care. Well, but it, it's not so vicious as that. No. He, he is a pretentious artist, and all of the people around him uh, respect, but also resent him. Uh, the uh, film's star is played by Barbara Hershey. And she uh, seems to have a good deal of respect for Peter O'Toole, but also seems to hate him a lot. And that, yeah. that seems to be the attitude of a lot of the people yeah. uh, who he, work with him. He's a boisterous mm. asshole. He's pretentious. He's egomaniacal. Uh, he's also very funny. And he, damn it, he makes a good movie. And like, and when, even mm. if he gives you a lot of crap and you're like, oh, I had to rewrite this scene. It was my favorite scene in the movie, but... Now it's better, damn it, Eli. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and he he understands that he actually is pushing people really, really hard, but he doesn't care. He's he's you know a, a classically pushy director. Yeah, uh, and I. I I like the sort of technical aspect, how he's always like on a crane. Yeah. <laughs> like he'll be shouting orders, but it, rather than like actually block the scene, he's just sitting on the crane and the crane's kind of like moving around. Like he's yeah. floating around his actors a lot. Like it's some sort of deposed demigod. <laughs> it's a great time. There, there's a great bit where, uh, the, oh, the main character, by the way, is played by Steve Railsback. And there's a, a shot near the end where he's just sort of standing. He's gone through this really horrible idea, his ordeal, and he's breathing really, really heavily. And Peter O'Toole literally comes in from the top of the screen, just sort of lowers down behind him. <laughs> How did that go? Oh, God. <laughs> uh, but yeah, over the course of the movie, he starts to, uh, the Steve Railsback character starts to get into being a stuntman. Uh, he starts to lose his mind a little bit. And the way the film is edited, you start to see that we're losing some distinction between the violence that's going on in the film and what's going on in real life. And we see that that's sort of blurring right mm. at the beginning. There's that bit where, again, Steve Railsback is actually running from the cops. Mm. And so he runs, he actually, like, a car stops near him and he gets in the car and he says, hey, thanks for stopping. And the guy immediately tries to kick him out and you don't know why. Mm. And you don't realize that they were getting, like, this stunt in a really wide shot in, like, a helicopter. So there's no one around, there's no indication that a stunt's going on. So he ends up, like, getting in the way of the stunt, possibly fucking up the stunt and getting this guy killed. Mm-hmm. So that was supposed to be a safe thing and it ended up being serious and someone died. Then he wanders onto the set and they're doing another really ambitious like war scene where they wanted to do it all in one big long take where like a, a plane comes in and like strafes the beach mm-hmm. and there's a bunch of mist. And when the mist clears, there's gore everywhere. And everyone who's like watching from the sidelines like, oh my God, something went horribly wrong. Everyone died. And then you hear someone say, Gut and all like the the half maimed people with their guts spilling out yeah. get up. It's like oh that was a good one. And like half buried people. It's like, yeah. oh. <laughs> this movie is one of the most playfully edited movies uh-huh. I've ever seen, and I love it so much. And how it will just dance between like the rehearsal for stunts, and then when you're least expected, the actual stunt is going on, and then you're not a hundred percent sure if it's safe or not. Mm. So Steve Railsback is might be actually potentially really hurting himself. Yeah. But he's not a professional. He's a guy who just came back from Vietnam and like he thought he had a life to come back to and he didn't. And being able to get paid six hundred dollars, which is a quite a bit of money, even 
ow for me uh to like just jump from like one window to another he's just like yeah i'll do that i got nothing else going on i don't even need a fucking mattress like i'll just (laughs) do it like he's at that Mm. point he's he's actually like really traumatized by his experience in the war and Mm. he sees everything as like something that could potentially kill Mm. him or destroy him and so throwing himself into this situation actually doesn't even seem like a major step for him uh, the film came out in 1980, uh, which was at a time when uh, Vietnam films were still being made. Apocalypse Now was 79. Um, Deer Hunter just for the Deer, same year. Yeah, Deer yeah. Hunter was 78. Uh, and um, so we were still seeing like Vietnam movies. Uh, First Blood was... Uh, a couple also, years after this. It was like 82. I think it was 81. 81 or 82. 81 so, 82, yeah. So yeah, the, there, there were still a lot the of film, a films about uh, yeah, the, the Vietnam experience yeah. com- coming through the pipeline. And that's addressed in the movie. Uh, where the Peter O'Toole character is, has a conversation with the writer about sort of what this movie is about. They're, they're in the middle of shooting it and they're still trying to figure out like what the mess, what they want the message to be. Yeah. And they realize we can't do an anti-Vietnam film. Those are out of fashion. Now the yeah. war is over making a protest film. Now is not good timing. It seems kind yeah. of gauche. So they talk about how like this movie was in development mm. while we were in Vietnam and now we're not. And only now are we able to make it, but now we have nothing left to say. Yeah. So they have to base. So over the course of the film, while they're making the movie within the movie, the movie evolves from this very self serious, almost surrealistic, you know, behind enemy lines kind of descent into madness and ends up becoming a weird farce. Mm. Uh, I have no idea if the movie Eli Cross, Peter O'Toole's character, is making would be a good movie or not. It's difficult to tell what the finished project is. It really is. Like, it looks like like it would be almost absurdist. Yeah, like, what what was the movie in Day for Night? Like, I don't remember the movie. I just remember them shooting it. Truffaut almost made this movie, actually. Like, when they were originally, Uh, like, this is based on a book, and they were talking about getting But he had already done Day for Night. I think he probably had at that point. Yeah, so... um, Day for Night was 74. War, I think. Actually, then he would have. I think he would have been in the contention to make this movie before that. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. So uh, this movie was like in the in the works for a really really long time. Um, the one thing there's actually a lot of things in this movie that I actually, in my experience hmm. working in and around the film industry, are actually like a lot of it's very real. Hmm. Um, a lot of the attitudes on set, the people who are doing it for like the extreme you know, grandiosity of the art. And then there are people who are just there to work that day and that kind of contrast and how people work together. All those conversations felt very real to me. Um, the way that some directors can be really grossly manipulative yeah, in order to get the performance that they mm-hmm. want or the, the scene written the way that they want. Um, and the idea that if the scene turns out good, it was all worth it uh, is gross. And I think the movie acknowledges that it's gross but it also acknowledges that he might be making a great movie and acknowledges that in this environment, some people don't care. Yeah. There's well, this it, incredible there's... scene where he like, he like shows Barbara Hershey's parents cause they're visiting the set, mm. a sex scene she was doing and she's mortified. And he tells her that he showed them that sex right, scene right before they start rolling, right before yeah. they start rolling on a scene where she has to be ashamed of something. Yeah. And he's just like, <laughs> and you're just like, Jesus, Eli, you fucking monster. But, but there's it's, also some, it's edited yeah. in such a way where that could be like sort of a like a fantasy. Yeah. Well, actually showing the parents that scene because they're not seen in any other any Barbara other Hershey wasn't there in that moment, yeah. so she didn't, he could have just lied to her. He didn't have to show them that. Hmm. 
weird ego trip and he's clearly got a god complex i mean he's literally like flying around like a deus ex machina <laughs> right throughout the entire thing but there are also things that are total bullshit uh the movie very clearly on multiple occasions stipulates that it takes place over the course of three days there is no <gasps> yeah, way there's a lot that goes on they that time. write the whole movie they do like 80 different major scenes in that time, there's no fucking way that's taking place in three days. Three weeks, maybe, for a, for a movie that scale. Uh, but no, it's... No, I I cannot... That's mm. one thing I'd forgotten about or I never really thought of before. <laughs> uh, that's one thing where I'm just like, that's... Mm. No, I, just, I cannot accept that at all. It's fun, though. Mm. Uh, Peter O'Toole uh, has said that he based his portrayal of Eli Cross on David Lean when they were working on Lawrence of Arabia. I believe it. <laughs> and that makes Lawrence of Arabia that much more interesting to me. Mm. <laughs> what an incredible fucking thing. Um, I love this movie. I, I'm very, very curious what your mm. ultimate takeaway mm. of it is. I, I, I loved it. I, I really, really enjoyed this film. I yeah. loved uh, this just sort of uh, ser- weird, serious, comedic, almost, yeah, borderline surrealistic tone to mm. it. I was reminded of films like Performance. Oh, it's not you know, as weird as something like Performance. Uh, it's yeah, it's like in a, in a Matrix in between Performance and and Day for Night, mm. uh, and that's a good place to live. Uh, Steve Railsback gives a really good performance. He is convincingly unhinged. I've seen a lot of performances like this where they go a little bit too nutty with it, mm-hmm. or a little bit too laid back with it. Um, Someone like Peter O'Toole, for instance, I don't, or not Peter O'Toole, um, Peter Fonda, oh, yeah. another like great actor. Ca- great actor and counterculture icon. I feel like he couldn't play a role like this. Mm. I feel like he doesn't have quite the capacity to push through his laid back persona to give something yeah. really kind of scary. If, I don't know if, if Railsback mm. is like wise enough to be taking chances or inexperienced enough to be raw. Mm. Either way, this is it, like, I, yeah. I wouldn't call him a particularly great actor. I've seen him in a lot of things. He's perfect for this. He's perfectly yeah, and he, cast. And he gives this wonderful like monologue where he's, he's trashing a room and giving a monologue oh, at the so same good. time, talking about his situation and how he got there. And, yeah. you know, this, this incident he had in the past with, with uh, some cops at, uh, at a drugstore with a bunch of ice cream. And he yeah. talks a lot about the ice cream and the details about like, and this is the worst hurting the, people, hurting a cop by throwing like bits of hot fudge at him. Yeah. This is the worst mm. experience of his life, but the actual monologue and the things that he's saying, are hilarious mm. and, and it's a funny monologue but it did destroy his life it destroyed his life and he's playing it really straight but because it's such a weird story and because he's just sort of trashing this uh, movie prop warehouse yeah. so he's just surrounded by all these really strange things and cans of paint yeah it plays like almost something like uh like a basement scene and it's a mad 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 world yeah uh it's almost that madcap but you know you get this, this sort of frantic energy from this movie that uh, is is really infectious there's there's a the theme to this movie uh there's a theme song it's actually quite mm. good uh but the actual like orchestral theme to this movie is like it's it's like half like serious movie like score and half mm. Benny Hill. Like there's, <laughs> it's like, it's this really wonderful farcical March uh-huh. and it's the sound in my head of movies being made because <laughs> movies being made are, if you've ever been on a set, spend any meaningful amount of time mm. on a set. Like if you've been on a movie set long enough That's... that the, that the, uh, that the mystique goes away. Mm. 
and it's he realized, just a frustrating grind. Yeah, it's a frustrating grind, and everyone's trying to do their job, and there's a million different people working cross purposes, and the people who are in charge of keeping everyone, you know, in in order are oftentimes the only people mad enough to be even try to do such a thing. Um, and it's amazing that people have said this before. It's amazing that any movie gets made. <laughs> and that's a hundred percent true. Some people use that as an excuse not to criticize movies. I disagree with that, mm. but it is a feat. Well, the, and I feel like this that, idea the, that this the, score is just the yeah. perfect score for making mm. any movie, yeah. regardless of what movie it is. Yeah, the because idea it, that, it captures that absurdity yeah, that, that all films are beyond reproach because somebody worked very hard. Well, yeah, you worked very hard, and we're here to judge the the result. Yeah, how uh, well did it come out at the end of the like, day? Like if I if I like if you engage the services of a plumber mm. and they work really really hard to fix your sink, and in the end of the day your kitchen is flooded. Mm. They didn't do the job, now no. did they? So you kind of have to give them a bad Yelp review. I, I don't mean to be rude. I know he worked really, really hard, but this you didn't do a good job yeah. today. Uh, well, also we're critics. We're not here to gauge your level of toil. Yeah. We're here to look at the film. Yeah, regard if you if you uh, didn't try and it turned out amazing. Well, shit! Congratulations. Mm. <laughs> it's hard to do. Yeah, uh, say it's it's a miracle that any film comes together, but so many are made. We're here to yeah. judge the ones that do. Uh, and I appreciate films that do sort of demystify film go, uh, filmmaking. Yeah. And and films about filmmaking have been made as long as the medium has been around. Uh, yeah. And in fact, uh, there's some really wonderful early uh, cartoon shorts about mm. the animation process. Yeah. And, you know, cartoon characters are painting their own cells and that sort of thing. One of my favorite uh, mm. uh, Tiny Toons is all about uh, the how animation gets made. Oh, yeah. There's like an animation festival mm. at the Tiny Toons at the Acme University. <laughs> and uh, Plucky... Didn't put do it off. the assignment. Well, he didn't go to class all yeah. year, and now it's time for him to make He's a short. got to learn everything how. there is to know about animation in one night, a.k.a. one episode of Tiny Toons. And I, my wife and I quote it a lot. Mm. Uh, anytime comedy beats mm. come up, boom, it's a great <laughs> gag. Um, but yeah, it, it's so... We, we had a whole episode of The Iron List like last year, I think, mm. um, where we talked about the best movies about movies. Mm. And if memory serves, this was on my list. I think it might have been my number one. Um, uh, it's entirely possible. I I hadn't seen it, so I couldn't I, gauge it. No, but, I know uh, I put it on the list, but I do really really like it, and I would I would yeah. start including it well, on lists with stuff like Day for Night. Yeah, I think the thing that I think makes this movie just kind of awesome is that there's a lot of movies that are about making movies that are in concerned with preserving the fantasy of Hollywood. Hmm. There's a lot of movies that are incredibly eager to rip down the facade of Hollywood and show you just how ugly and terrible it can be. And I, and some of them are really, really good. Like A Star is Born is actually a really bitter story Yeah, um, in any version. Uh, and here's a movie that I think does both. I think it shows that Hollywood is this weird, wonderful, magical place full of really shitty people doing really shitty things. And they are... The, the fact that the movie comes out good is not an excuse. They suck, <laughs> but they're still interesting enough to film. Hmm. And I think that's where the stuntman lives. And I, again, this movie is really fantastic. I hope you all see it if you haven't yet. Uh, again, it's on Shout TV, uh, which means it's also on Tubi. They have like some sort of arrangement right now. Uh, and it's also on HBO Max. Hmm. Uh, so please check it out. I, I'm really, really glad when you saw it. Uh, next week on uh, the Critically Acclaimed Streaming Club, uh, we're going to be looking at family movies on Netflix. Uh, there is currently a poll on our Patreon. It should be up for another day or so. Uh, if you haven't voted yet or if you haven't signed up for the Patreon yet, even $1 a month you get to vote. Uh, the nominees for family was on Netflix included B-Movie. Uh, Robert, the, the animated film about bees. Uh, the Robert Rodriguez film Shorts. 
which is an anthology of very short films aimed at kids. Uh, is it short films or is it just called shorts? It's called shorts because it's like interconnected kind of short films. Oh, okay. It's I haven't seen it, but the mm-hmm. description is like everyone like there's this wishing stone that like mm-hmm. passes from person to person. It sounds a bit like the movie Heavy Metal, where there's that one little green orb. Yeah, like it's passed from one place to a place. And otherwise, kill, there's kills people. Yeah. yeah, and otherwise there's no connective tissue. Like it could be a funny story, it could be a horrifying story, mm-hmm. but this orb is in all of them, and that's all that matters. That's the impression I get. I haven't seen it though. That's one of the ones I put on there. So. Um, if that wins, so be it. And then you picked two films that I was surprised were in the family section, <laughs> but Netflix makes the rules. Uh, it was White Christmas, mm-hmm. classic uh, musical starring uh, Danny Kaye, Bing Crosby, uh, was it Vera Allen? I don't know. Rose, I haven't and, seen it. <laughs> uh, and Rosemary Clooney. Anyway, right. it's really, really sweet. Uh, and uh, Searching for Bobby Fischer, which not for nothing is my very favorite film, uh, which I also never really thought of as a family film, even though it's certainly fine for families mm-hmm. there's nothing inappropriate about it i just never really thought of it as like you know for kids like i never really thought of that um but in and, any case and, that pulls up now you, you've called it your favorite movie and i've never seen it i know so. i've called it my movie <laughs> i realized it was my favorite movie like mm. quite a few years ago now like over half a decade ago now people kept that that's one thing people ask you a lot when you're a critic mm. what's your favorite movie and a lot of critics don't have one, and that's yeah. fine because we see so many movies. Or maybe we'll just pick one that we really love just to end the conversation. <laughs> but we like, oh, it's a Texas Chainsaw Massacre, sure. And then the next, someone asks you the same question later on at a party. I don't know, Princess Mononoke. Like I don't know, <laughs> yeah. like something. You want to end the conversation. Yeah. But from eventually, I realized that there is one movie that I love more than any other movie, and it's Searching for Bobby Fischer. And uh, if that wins, I will explain why in great detail. And I look forward to hearing what you have to say about it, whether you watch it this week or someday in the future. If we watch White Christmas, cool. If we watch B movie, yay! I finally get to see B movie. If we get to, if, finally, we, if it's shorts, maybe, maybe. interesting. I've always wanted to see shorts. Maybe have to see B movie. Maybe not get to see B movie. Well, you know, like you have an excuse to catch up to something yeah. that you never got around to. And B movie, even though it was it was successful, but wasn't mm-hmm. like particularly game changing. It just lingers in the consciousness. <laughs> it never goes away, and mm-hmm. it's always like. Did I miss something? Is B-Movie actually really good? Like, what have I missed here? I don't know. Like maybe the, I'll find out. Like the stench left in your kitchen after you open a spoiled Tupperware container. <laughs> okay. You, you throw it away and it stays for a little bit. So you've seen it? No. Okay. It just looks terrible. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, but I, I digress. That's up at the poll. Uh, we'll have new releases next week as well. I don't know what's coming out mm. because I didn't look. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, and of course, we have a ton of other stuff here at the Critically Acclaimed Network, other uh, regular shows right here on the free feed, and at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, we have a ton of exclusive shows. We recently dropped the latest episode of Only the Best, where Whitney and I are working our way through every single film ever nominated for Best Picture. We just Mm -hmm. hit the 1940s. Uh, and boy, was 1940 not a great year for movies. It was a pretty disappointing year. <laughs> yeah, uh, interesting crop. Certainly a lot to talk about. But when you look at like how great 1939 was, it's kind of legendary. And then you see 1940, you're just like, oh. oh. But 1941 had Citizen Kane, so yeah. they kind of bounced back a little and, bit. And the movie that beat Citizen Kane. Yeah, so I look how, forward to talking about that. How Green Was My Valley is not a bad movie. I, so, so I'm told. Uh, it's got, I right, it's got uh, Roddy McDowell. When he was like 10. That's a great, mm. That is a great pedigree. I look forward to it. But that's one I haven't seen. And I get to watch it for the podcast next time. And I'm excited. Um, and of course we have commentary tracks galore. We have uh, not on Disney Plus. Where we talk about stuff that isn't on Disney Plus. But should be. Holy Batman. We're reviewing every single episode of the 1960s Batman. Uh, 
all our yesterdays. We're reviewing every single episode of Star Trek. We have a lot of shows. Um, anyway, it's a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, you can follow us on Twitter. We are at Critic Acclaim. I myself personally am at William DeBiani. I myself personally am at Whitney Seibold. If you want to write into our show and maybe have your letter heard on an upcoming episode of the podcast, We've Got Mail, uh, you can write into letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Uh, and if you really want some soap, <laughs> I know that might, if you're new to the show, that might seem like a weird segue, but I assure you we've been building up to it for a while. Uh, we have an Etsy store, me and my wife and partner, M. Lapis Da Silva. Uh, if you go to Etsy.com and look up Salt Cat Soap, look for the logo that looks like our black cat Luca with bar of soap. It's designed by M. Lapis Da Silva, who's also an amazing illustrator and writer. Uh, and yeah, we have designer soaps. Uh, we're going to be dropping some new designs on the first Saturday of the month, every month from here on out. Um, and uh, yeah, and I might actually design some stuff uh, for the Schmodown uh, throughout the year. Some novelty soaps to tie into various matches and events mm-hmm. because that's uh, something I like to do. But right now, all the designs on there are uh, Michelle's. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, we hope you check it out. People seem to be enjoying the soaps so far. Um, Thank you, everybody, once again for listening. We'll see you next week for Critically Acclaimed and throughout the week for everything else we do. And never forget, everyone's a critic. I want to go to the midnight show. I'm sorry, what? <laughs>